Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Beach State Pandemonium, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network, where we take you down memory lane for a look at professional wrestling the way it used to be, with conversations from those who paved the way. And now, the GWH Radio Network presents Beach State Pandemonium. What a lovely way to start this uh, tribute show to Charlie Smith. I'm Stephen Platinum, and joining me is Larry Goodman. And joining us soon is going to be Bobby Simmons, who's one of the hosts of that show, um, where Charlie Smith used to call in all the time. Do you remember that, Larry? I do. They would get a kick out of his questions and the stuff he would bring up on there when I would be listening. Yeah, yeah, he was a a frequent uh, caller for sure. Yeah. We're here to honor Charlie Smith. Um, I was, my first, you know, introduction to Charlie Smith, not that I met him, was I used to frequently go to the Cauliflower Alley event. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, uh, I cannot describe what a big deal that is that their referee award is named after Charlie Smith. I mean, that alone tells you kind of his prominent spot in the business, how important he was. I mean, when you're sharing the likes of other people who they also honor in this way are like Lou Fez. <laughs> so, I mean, well, it gets no bigger than that, right? And our guest uh, who is going to be on with us here in just a second um, was a recipient of that Charlie Smith Referee Award. So we're really so pleased that um, – Bobby Simmons can give us some of his time to uh, reminisce about Charlie tonight. Um, let's bring him on. Absolutely. Hey, Bobby. Good evening, guys. How are you? Good. How are you? Doing great, I'm well. Bobby. I hope you can hear me. I'm, I'm driving, so I'm hoping you can hear me. Uh, no, Crystal doing well. Clear. It's a pleasure to be with you guys tonight. No problem. Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Now, before the show, Bobby... Larry was telling me the circumstances in which you met Charlie Smith. Larry, do you want to kind of convey that and confirm it and see if uh, Bobby is true? Mm -hmm. I knew you, Bobby, I knew you were young when you met him. I didn't realize you were a teenager when you met him in the office there. Is that, is that, is that the true story? I went to work for ABC booking in 1969. I was 14 and Charlie ran the box office. And, uh, I went to work for Charlie Harbin, who was the office manager for Ray Gunkel, and uh, I ran errands. I lived maybe a mile from the wrestling office, so my job was to go by there in the afternoons after school to go to the cafe, go wherever, and that's when I first met Charlie Smith. So me and Charlie were friends for 53 years. And... um, so what was your first impressions of Charlie, meeting him as a teenager? Well, I knew him as a referee and uh, very intimidated by him. I was intimidated by all those guys. But Charlie was, uh, if you knew Charlie, Charlie was loud. He was uh, gregarious. He, he, was, he was a people person. And uh, he just, uh, his normal talking was almost yelling to me. 
So uh, I was I was a little a little little in awe of him. He had that great voice, and uh, he just uh, you know. But we hit it off. Uh, there was just something between me and him, and that happened three or four times in the wrestling business with me, where I met somebody and we just instantly became friends. And and uh, yeah, but I a little bit intimidated by him to begin with. And uh, tr- true that he tr- then t- was your trainer as a referee. Yeah, my uh, when I was I was seven, of course seventy two. By seventy two, by the time I had rolled around, I had been around for about three years. I was ushering at the auditorium. Uh-huh. I was put the, putting the TV ring up on the weekends. I was working Griffin on Saturday nights, and then in November of seventy two. Well, they actually, had a, they didn't say it out loud, but they kind of intimated that they may be going to do something with me right after I got out of high school. And, uh, I did, you know, I told me not to say anything, and, of course, nothing ever came of it because in the background all this other stuff started working. Ray Gunkel died in August, and then by November uh, I was working with Ann Gunkel's crew. So wow. that's when they told me they were going to make me a referee, and uh, Charlie was a guy that uh, – uh, Kind of showed me the ropes and taught me how to do and what not to do. And uh, his, his biggest thing was uh, he would tell me, always bring your gear. You never know when somebody might not show up. So, of course, I always had my stuff with me. I'd take the, take the ring, set the ring up, and on most nights I'd do the timekeeping, the ring announcing, whatever had to be done. And then he would tell me, go get dressed. I'm going to let you referee to a couple of matches. And uh, it was always the last two matches on the card. And uh, by the time I got through and got the ring down, he was home in the bed. And, uh, <laughs> of course, I didn't, I didn't make any money for Ripley, but I, 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 did, I did feel some experience. Uh, so, yeah, that was uh, – but, yeah, Charlie was uh, – he, he was very instrumental in, in learning the ropes. So when the wrestling war came, he went with uh, – and Gunkel. That's correct. And you did, everybody, you did too. Everybody the, yes, everybody in the territory went with Ann Gunkel except for Bob Armstrong and Daryl Cochran. Uh-huh. And after about a week, Jerry Oates decided to go back to the NWA, but everybody else was with Ann. So all the established ta- uh, talent in the territory was with Ann. And uh, uh, since I worked for Charlie Harbin, when Charlie went, I went too, and it was it was a blessing to put me in the right place at the right time to break into the business. Mm. I'll give you a funny story talking about Charlie and first. Yeah. First trip I ever first trip I ever made in the wrestling business was with Charlie Smith. They used to run Augusta on Monday nights, and Savannah ran on Tuesdays. Oh, and they God. had put me semi in charge of the rings. Uh, I was replacing floors, replacing ropes, whatever needed to be done. I had learned how to do all this by now. And uh, Aaron Newman, who was a promoter in Savannah, he had, him and his son had built two rings. And Charlie Harbin asked me to go down there with Speedy and to look at them and to see what I thought about them because there wasn't any wood on them. It was just the metal frames and the, and the, the ropes. So... I went to Augusta with Charlie on Monday night. Well, between we would leave Augusta and go to Savannah, 
and the the hotel there had given us a good rate and would let us check out at four o'clock. So it was a good deal, and you didn't have to come all the way back to Atlanta, and it made the trip shorter. So I'm with Charlie, and on the way from Augusta to Savannah, I didn't realize it at the time, but Charlie was trying to smarten me up to life on the road. Now, I was 16 at the time. I had never been away from home on my own. I'm going to have to play adult. I'd never had to play adult. And uh, he's trying to tell me these things. And I'll be real honest, some of the things he was telling me, raised by a mother that drug me to church every time the doors open, and I'm very thankful for that. But I'm thinking in my mind, people don't live like this. He's ribbing me. This is a joke. This stuff don't really happen. We We checked into the town motel. I'm in a hotel room by myself, never been away from home, you know, any extended time other than like camp. And I'm thinking, you know, here I am, what am I doing? And I heard a woman scream. And I and I, I stepped out on the balcony of the hotel, and this woman came from the front. The hotel was, it's like a 1950s L-shaped motel where you, you kind of drove through the middle of the first floor to get to the back. Yeah, yeah, This yeah. woman come through that. Way. There were, they had a beach. It was right on the Savannah River, and they had a beach there for the hotel. This woman come through the front and the back screaming and giggling, naked as a jaybird, running toward that beach. And uh, I'm not going to throw the guy under the ropes, but one of the biggest hills in the territory was about 10 steps behind her, naked as a jaybird, chasing her. And uh, I, that was when it dawned on me. Maybe people do live like this, and uh, my conversation with Charlie Smith continued and went down from there. <laughs> oh, my. That was wonderful. So, in these days, I'm just curious, when, when this kind of loop you guys were doing, what kind of mileage you broke was, up on me Charlie be? Try it again. You broke up on me a little bit. What kind of driving, what kind of mileage would you guys be doing in those days? Oh, it was it was easy to do 100,000 a year. <laughs> and we had, a, we had a small territory. Augusta, Holy moly. Atlanta to Augusta, round trip, 300 miles. Augusta, or well, if you, if you went from Atlanta to Savannah round trip, it's about 530, 540. Uh Columbus on Wednesday night round trip was about uh, 200, a little more maybe. And and back then there was no interstate between Atlanta and Columbus, so it was all two-lane road going between <laughs> little towns where the cops knew we were coming and waiting on us. Uh, Thursdays we did making TV on Thursday afternoon, and then we ran Athens, Georgia, and uh, generally a spot show on Thursday, sometimes Albany. Albany was round trip 350 from Atlanta. Uh, Friday night was Atlanta. Then Saturday we did Atlanta TV in the morning, Columbus TV in the afternoon, which was live at 4 o'clock, and then we left there and either went to Carrollton or Savannah, uh, Carrollton or uh, Griffin, and it was probably 75, 80 miles back to there, and uh, that's uh, that's where we were. It, so, it, it, yeah, this is a small territory. Wow. 
Yeah. And Charlie was running somebody responsible for handling some of these shows, correct? Charlie ran. Well, not then he wasn't. Charlie was strictly refereeing and running the ticket off okay. back then. That came uh, later. Gunk, Ray Gunkel was a taskmaster. I never worked directly for Ray, but he was a he was a booger to work for. The ticket office had to be open from nine to five Monday through Friday, or nine to four on Fridays. But uh, Charlie had to be there at nine o'clock every month, every morning. It didn't matter if you were in Savannah and didn't get back till three in the morning. You had to be there at nine o'clock. So a lot of nights he would go spend the night in the office on the couch we had there or they had in the office. And and another thing about that, Gunkel called every morning about two minutes after nine to make sure you were there. So it was it was a it was a tough go back then. And and I'm gonna really blow your mind because this is and this is a gospel truth. He got an extra twenty five dollars a week for running the box office. Nah. Guaranteed back then, guaranteed back then was fifteen dollars. So this is just this is a sidetrack question, but I have to ask: Was this the old was the ticket office on Chester Avenue then, or did, was was that? Yeah, a, a it was in the sports place? arena. Well, originally, originally the box office was on Houston Street. Uh-huh. Uh huh. People in Texas pronounced it Houston. People in Georgia pronounced it Houston. Houston, it was, right? Uh, it was uh, seventy-five Houston Street, and it was in a on the first floor of a parking garage. That's where it originally was. And then when Paul Jones bought the sports arena, they moved it over there, and that was Chester Avenue. That's when I went to work for them. That's where it was, and it stayed there until 1970, late 78, early 79, and we moved to the Omni. Yes, because when when I got to Atlanta, it was uh, late 77. I remember in 78 going there and buying tickets sometimes at that place. Yep. Oh my God. Yep. Steve, you got questions hey. for? Uh, Absolutely. So, Bobby, um, you know, I noted that when I met Charlie Smith, it's when I was running uh, Platinum Championship Wrestling, in, uh, and we were doing shows in Porterdale, Georgia. And mm-hmm. Charlie, just, Charlie just walked up to me and went, you're in charge? And, then, yeah, and he goes, can I set up a table here and sell gimmicks? And I went, yep. And and he was shocked as he was as shocked as I was <laughs> because PCW was not the kind of show where anybody had a table and sold anything. Um, and at the right. same time, I mean, he was expecting some kind of like, well, you know, what do I get out of it? Instead, I was just I I recognized, and when he introduced himself, I recognized his name because of Cauliflower Alley. So I wasn't right. about to tell the, the great Charlie Smith no to anything, right? And then I quickly realized, and so, Bobby, here's my question. Like, Charlie Smith was one of these guys who you expect guys of an older generation to kind of look down on modern wrestling. Um, and I can understand why. There's a number of reasons. But Charlie never had that attitude. He would go to any number of people's shows. He was nothing but pleasant. And then he would he would give me things, you know, like that I would insist on paying for. And so he goes like, well, what can I do for you? And I'm like, I would love to hear a story. And so he would just say, like, name somebody. And so I would say, like, Danny Hodge, who's one of my, like, idols. And then he would tell me a Danny Hodge story. And he never had a negative attitude about the shows that he went to. Um, 
was that just the kind of guy he was, or did he just love being around it so much? Because I just found that remarkable that a man of his age who had been around the greatest stuff to happen, especially in Georgia wrestling, didn't seemingly have a negative attitude about the modern incarnation of pro wrestling. Charlie, Charlie would never knock what anybody's doing to make a buck. Charlie was a hustler. Kept going to the matches because he loved people, but he loved making a dollar more than he loved people. And and I and I, I, that's not a bad thing. It's not, it's not a bad. Charlie, you got to understand. Charlie was. Charlie never, never knew his father. Okay. Uh-huh. I don't think he ever met his dad. Uh, I met Charlie's mother. Uh, another story in itself. We're sitting in the box office one night. We kept it open late when we were at the Omni. When we first started doing Omni shows, when we were only going once every couple of months, three months, uh, when we couldn't get the auditorium, uh, we would keep the box office open until 9 o'clock. So me and Charlie were working the box office. And he was standing up looking out the window, and he looks at me, and he goes, come here. He said, look at this great big fat woman coming down the street. And I got up, and sure enough, there's this woman coming down the street, and she was bigger round than she was tall, and she was waddling. I mean, she was huge. And and, and I normally, you know, making fun of people whatever, I might have said something, but for whatever reason, I didn't say anything. I just kind of turned around and sat down. This woman gets to the window, and she gets up on her tiptoes, and the window was uh, like any theater window. It had a little round hole where you talk through. But we didn't have anything in it. It was just an open hole. She sticks her whole lips and nose through that window and goes, Charles? And Charlie goes, yes, mother, what do you want? It was his mama. Oh. That was my introduction to Charlie's mom. Uh, a lot, lot of funny, lot of funny things happened in that window. Uh, uh, this to do with Charlie, but I'll give you another story about that window, right quick. I'm sitting in there one one Monday, and I we had pulled we had done an angle on Friday night at the auditorium where where Ole had took my belt off, and he went to work on Dusty, and uh, and I'm laying there and and, and I over exaggerated was holding my pants up. It created a lot of heat. I mean, we got a lot of letters that. Nobody wanted to see the referee's pants fall down and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, we had a guy that bought tickets from us. He was the, he was a black gentleman. His name was Jimmy Carter. And Jimmy would Jimmy showed up that Monday to get his tickets, and I happened to be sitting in the box office. And, buddy, he lit into me. I mean, he had his nose and mouth all in that little hole, and he was letting me have it. I mean, he was just absolutely raising cane. And I was sitting there, and I listened for a minute, and finally I jumped out of my chair toward the window. And he jumped back like a cat, about three feet. And I leaned up in that window, and I said, Jimmy, calm down. It's a work. And I went back to sit down. And he turned around, and he got back that window, and he said, that's the first thing you got right all week. It ain't going to work. You ain't going to do this no more. And he just lit <laughs> into me again. So. <laughs> so we had a lot of... <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of things happened in the window. Anyway, back to Charlie. Charlie was Charlie was pretty well raised grandmother, and uh, he he he's he's a hustler. Even as a, as a kid, Charlie was a hustler. 
he used to go down on on uh, on Whitehall Street downtown in front of one of those of those stores, and he would sell chicks, little baby chicks. You might, I don't know, you guys might remember. Years ago, you could buy little chicks at Easter yes. at different times of the year, yes. and they would dye them yes. different colors. He would sell those things to make money. Uh, he would, uh, uh, as he grew older, uh, you know, he, he spent two years in the army, and when he came home, he just—he's always a hustler. He was sitting at home one Fourth of July, and and Fourth uh, of July parade here in Atlanta—it's a hundred degrees, and he's got—he got to thinking, you know, them people down there are going to be thirsty. So Charlie went and got 12 cases of canned Coca-Colas. And back then, Coca-Colas, I guess, were maybe 20-cent, quarter apiece, whatever. He iced them down in a 55-gallon drum, strapped them onto a hand truck, and went downtown and sold them for a dollar apiece. <laughs> 12 cases, $144. And he probably had, I don't know, 30, 40 bucks in them. And then he went home. He got home before the parade started. So, you know, I mean, that's the, way, that's the way he thought. So the gimmick tables were just an extension of that. He would buy masks uh, out of Mexico, and he would get masks, yeah. and he would I, and he would sell anything. I, we went to, I went to uh, Blakely, Georgia with him. Dennis Gale, our buddy, run a big show in Blakely once a year, and we would go down there to that show. And uh, this particular year we went down there, Charlie had bought, I don't know if you've ever seen them or not. They're, they look like a baby's pacifier. And you put it in your mouth, and, you know, kids love them. But they, when you'd bite down on it, it would light up. It was multicolored. They would blink all yeah. over the place. He was selling those things for two bucks a piece. And I'm telling you, when we got to the main event, when they dimmed the lights for the main event in that building, you would have thought you was at Ringling Brothers. Every kid in that building had one of them little pacifiers, and they were all lighting on them. I mean, it was the darkest thing you'd ever seen. But... He'd sell anything. He'd sell anything. He created I, his own novelty company, Smith Brothers Novelty Company. He sold jerseys, baseball hats, football hats, uh, all kind of licensed merchandise. When Atlanta Stadium was there, he used to set up at the corner of Washington and George Avenue. He sold so much stuff out there, the stadium tried to put him out of business. Because people knew he had quality merchandise, and he had more variety than the stadium had inside the place. Uh, he sold in games for years. Uh, he just Charlie was a hustler, and he loved people. So kind of, we went around the world to answer your question. But yeah, he loved people, and he loved going. It kept him. It gave him something to do. It kept him busy. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember he was he would sell these. They were called. Um, whatever happened to and they would be interviews with sort of like old legendary wrestlers and it would also have their contact information right. in there and right. um, he he knew that i loved danny hodge and and so right. he was like he's like he's like hey platinum come over here <laughs> so i go over and i go hey what's going on charlie and he goes like look what i got and he had the issue with danny hodge and I was so excited. And I go, like, well, how much is it? And he goes, well, it's $3. But, Steve, I don't, I don't feel right taking your money. He's like, can you just wait here a second? And I said, okay. And then the next people who came up to buy something, he sold, it, he sold them um, the Whatever Happened to magazine for $4 instead of 3 And then once he sold three of them, I guess in his own mind he went, well, I kind of made up the money for this one. And so then he 
Danny Hodge. <laughs> but he didn't feel good about giving it to me for free until he felt like he made that, money up elsewhere. And that, I mean, that I just thought that was what, the greatest thing ever. Now you have to look into the mind of Charlie Smith. And we laugh about this. I told his wife this. I could deal with Charlie. Me and Charlie, were we were very, very close. And I could deal with Charlie on anything. Thing we did, I could deal with it. But when it came to dealing with money, if there was money involved, I avoided those situations like the plague. Because, just quite honestly, he got so many people his life in his lifetime over just things like that that he was afraid somebody was going to get him. So it was very hard to deal with him when it came to money. The only time, the only thing we never ever ever had a disagreement on when it come to money, was the Cauliflower Alley shirts that we sell out there. And, you know, we would uh, work on the design together. He always took the credit for it, but, you know, we, we did that. And this year, I'll be honest, it's, it's very difficult for me. I'm working on them now, uh, and it, it's, it's, it's very hard. I'm, I'm dreading that trip by myself this year. And uh, it's uh, – but, you know, it is what it is. So we'll keep marching on. Uh, Bobby, I didn't get to see much of Charlie's refereeing until the tail end of his career. How did he wind up with the refereeing for WWE, or W at the course at that time WWF at, when they came to uh, Atlanta? Uh, Pat Patterson was a booking agent. Uh, Joe Scarpa, GJ Strongwell was a booking agent. Uh, the first Saturday they were here in Atlanta, um, through Scarp through Joe Scarpa, they reached out to him, and uh, that's how he uh, he got that Saturday morning black black Saturday whatever they called it. Yeah, that's yeah. how uh, that's that's how he got that gig. That that as uh, soon as the show was over that night, they ran a show in Savannah, uh, and they asked Charlie to go. And Charlie went down there to referee in Savannah for him. And uh, the uh, uh, Pat Patterson was the booking agent that, down there. And, of course, that's uh, that's when he met Pat. And Pat realized he was an old-timer. And old-timers take care of old-timers. So that's how he got the gig with them. Uh, and he would referee. Okay. He's been, he, went, he, he refereed Jacksonville a couple of times. and. He would go to Savannah. Anywhere they asked him to go, he would go because they always took care of him. Nice. What's the you know, I, I don't know if you have, have you guys seen the video uh, that uh, Crowbar Press sells, uh, uh, shooting with the legends. I've not. I have not. Okay, there's, no. there's, there is a video out. It's called Shooting with the Legends. Um, uh, they're about twenty bucks, but Charlie has one out with them uh, that uh, he talks about how he got started in the business and uh, and uh, how he uh, how he did the things that he he did. So um, it's it, you know it, it's 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 a it's nothing but Charlie on the camera and and uh, Scott Teal was asking him questions and I was laying on the bed reminding him about things because he you put Charlie in front of a camera. And he and he went. That's the only time you'd ever see him shut up. He just he couldn't talk to a camera. They were they were going to make a manager out of him one time, and uh, 
uh, Ole told him, he said, you got such a smart aleck mouth, you'd make a great manager. And he put him with, uh, he put him with Jim Dalton and Butch Malone, who were, uh, who at the time were a tag team here. And they were going to run him in some of the smaller towns to let Charlie get accustomed to doing it and then bring him back. But they told him, they said, if this works, you can never referee again. And he said, that's okay, I can make more money doing this. So they brought him into TV on Tuesday morning to do interviews. And as soon as they pointed at him and the camera was on, he couldn't talk. He could uh-huh. not do any. I mean, he shut up. He just, he started hemming and hawing and stuttering. And so it never worked out. So his, uh, his shoot interview with uh, Scott Till is, is me, uh, uh, is me laying on the bed off the camera telling him what, what to remember. So he, that's, uh, he, he, he didn't seem to have that problem on the telephone or on the radio, Charlie. No, he doesn't. Oh, no, 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 no. You know, our nine-year run with Peace State Pandemonium, he might as well have been a co-star. I know. And Charlie, Charlie, if you were around him, Charlie could not hear. He was deaf as a doornail, and he would not wear his hearing aids. So when he was on our show, we had to mute him a lot of times because all you could hear was him breathing. And he couldn't hear himself, so he didn't know he was doing it. And, uh, yeah, he's a uh, very frustrated. I'd be in a hotel. We'd stay together in a hotel room everywhere. we we travel together everywhere. And, I, you know, you'd talk to him. He'd go, what? Huh? And the hearing aids would be laying on the little table between the beds. I'd lean over and talk to the hearing aids. But uh, he just, uh, he you know, he can't hear nothing. So, But, yeah, he wouldn't wear them. But anyway, that was even in Charlie's last days, I would go see him. But the last time I saw him, I walked in his room, and I could hear the house phone off the hook, that sound it makes. Yeah. And I asked him, I said, where, where's the phone? He, and he, you know, he gave me that I don't know look, and I had to wrestle him through the bed. Was, he was laying on it. It was under him, and he couldn't hear it. So he he, it had got, he just he was really, really bad. When you, If you were around him much, you figured that out. But, yeah, Charlie was a. Uh, he had great stories, and uh, he just uh, he just couldn't hear. <laughs> uh, I he didn't, I've not encountered many people in my life with a spirit like his. You know, uh, uh, just really something. He was. There'll never be another one like him. And on some counts, that's bad, and on a lot of counts, that's good, I guess. But he's he's uh, Charlie. Charlie loved people. He loved to be to intermingle. He liked to be the center of attention. Uh, he he liked to. He, his favorite line was "I love you, baby," and I wouldn't say that to nobody else. Uh, but Charlie, but and you know, it, like in my case, and Scrappy McGowan's case, and uh, a name y'all might not be familiar with, Randy Corin, who worked in our office and became one of Charlie's writing buddies and good friends, uh, and he's my best friend. But uh, the three of us were very, very tight. And he would, he loved us, and near the end he would tell us he loved us. But, mm. you know, we'd say, hey, Charlie, we love you, man. But he'd just look at us and snore. He he just, uh, he didn't want you to know that. He didn't, he didn't he, if you were ever around him, he was loud. He was, you know, rah, 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 rah. but if Charlie liked you, he liked you, and he was, he would do anything in the world for you. He just didn't want you to know that. And 
Yeah, he was, uh, I mean, I miss him so bad. We talked every day on the phone up until the last two weeks of his life for 53 years. Every day we talked. Uh, even if he, oh if, he goodness, didn't, if I didn't Bobby. call him, if I didn't call him, he called me. And uh, his, uh, I used to kid him uh, when we would travel. I'd say, I make a lot of money traveling with you. And he goes, how? I said, your wife pays me to watch you. <laughs> <laughs> to make sure, to make sure you don't get in trouble, and if you do, I'm to report it back. So, uh, him and Louise were married. Uh, if the 27th, they would have been married 67 years. Holy and, uh, moly! One of his one of his great things was uh, my birthday is the 7th of May, and he would call me every year, and he would go, "How old are you?" And I'd say, "Well, I'm 65, 66. This year, I turned 67." And, he, and I said, you don't care how old I am. I said, all you want to do is know how old I am so you can tell Louise how many years you've been married. Because one of his big stories was he'd always tell people I was 20 days old the day they got married. So. <laughs> so. Bobby, if, if you could, what's the side of Charlie Smith that you feel like you got to see that almost nobody else did since you were on the road together so much and that kind of thing. Did you ever get to see a side of Charlie that he tended to not show other people? Yeah, he, that he that he really cared about people. Uh, he would, uh, I mean, again, if he liked you, he liked you. If he didn't like you, he would tell you he didn't like you. Uh, but, but he would, yeah, his humanity – which he didn't show very often, but I saw it. Um, his giving to other people. Um, he just, he was, you know, if, 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 if somebody was down on their luck, if they weren't, you know, he was probably the greatest ambassador that the Gulf Coast Wrestling Reunion and the Cauliflower Alley Club had. He was mm-hmm. constantly promoting it, telling people about it, handing out applications, telling people to join. Um, uh, he was just a he. He loved the fact they put him on the board of directors. Uh, he uh, he he just he it was a big deal to him. He uh, he he was a giving person, but he didn't want you to know he was a giving person. Uh, I pastor a church here in Atlanta, and uh, we just little. We do little memorial plaques, little three by five and a half, like you like you would put on the front of a trophy, and we put them on the windows of the church to remember somebody, or uh, on the end of the bench if somebody sat there and they passed away or whatever, just little things like that. And we would order them from we ordered them from the company where we get our t-shirts from, and and uh, he'd always say, "Well, I'll go pick them up for you." And I know he was paying for them. They told me he was, but he would never let me pay them. That was his way of. You know, saying here I want to do something for you without saying I'm doing something for you. But uh, mm. he was, uh, yeah, he was, he was, he was, he was nicer and more giving and more had a had a humane side to him that a lot of people never got to see. It's like I tell people about Ole Anderson. If you can ever get past Ole and get to Alan Regal, well, he's not now because he's he's not well. But back in the day. I love traveling with Ole because if you could get past Ole and get to Allen, what a kind, warm, funny guy he is. But as soon as somebody else showed up, he was Ole again, and that's the that's the gruff. Don't want to deal with. He don't want to deal with you, person. But 
That's the way Charlie was. Once you got past that outer rough exterior, he is a pussycat. Mm. Mm. I'll give you, you, I'm just, I'm thinking of things to tell you that he, we were in a, we were, there was a restaurant in Mobile, you know, the Gulf Coast Wrestling Reunion, which is pretty much gone by the wayside now because everybody has passed away. But back in the day, uh, they, they did about, I don't know, 27, 28 of them. I missed the first two or the first one. And I went there, I made every, all the rest of them up to about several years ago when people had started dying out. Uh, but there's a restaurant there in Mobile, or it's actually in Theodore, Alabama. It's called Dick Russell's. It's a, it's a barbecue restaurant by trade, but they have the best breakfast in the world. Homemade biscuits, anything, I mean, they'll, anything you want for breakfast, they'll make for you. So we're sitting there, this was on a, on a Thursday night. We're eating dinner there. And uh, there's probably 10, 12 of us there. And Charlie's being his normal, loud, obnoxious self. Little old girl, about 20 years old, waiting on us, and she's working her fanny off. And Charlie's aggravating her. And, it, you know, finally we get to the point where Charlie goes, my wife will be here tomorrow, and I want you to meet her. We've been married for 56 years or whatever it was at the time. And the little girl looked at him, and she said, well, I'd really like to meet her. She said, because I hadn't known you but about 15 minutes, and I can't stand you. <laughs> and, of course, that, <laughs> that ended up. the table broke up that time. But, uh, <laughs> did, you, did, you guys, did you guys watch Charlie's memorial service online? Yes, I did, yes. I did yes. not, no. Did you, well, you, well, I, I'll I'll tell this as, as clean as I can, and this is another Charlie story. A friend of a mutual friend of all ours, Michael Norris, had found a wireless mouse to go to work with a laptop. Me and Randy wanted one, so we they were at Big Lots, ten bucks. So we pull up in the parking lot of Big Lots, and there was seven or eight of us in the van together, and uh, Randy goes in to get it. And uh, Charlie said, i got to use the bathroom, and he runs in. And uh, he went to the bathroom, and the bathroom was in the back of the store, and Randy's near the front of the store looking. He found what we needed, and he goes to check out. Charlie, in the meantime, has stunk the whole store up. I mean, the whole store. I'm talking the old big lot store. The little girl behind the counter, Randy said she's about six feet tall, weighed about 75 pounds, just a beanpole. And said she she hollered as loud as she could holler, and I'm not going to repeat what she said. To clean it up, she said, "Somebody has crapped." And you can figure out what she said. Randy said he paid and got out of there because he knew what was Smitty back there. So we're out there about another five minutes, and here comes Smitty out the door. He is smiling and grinning from ear to ear, and he gets in the van and we drive off. Dick Russell's again, same restaurant across the street. We went over and ate breakfast. When we come out of Dick Russell's, Dick Russell's had some benches in front of it, and we would generally sit out there and talk for a while. And we are sat down, and I looked across the street at the big lots, and this is the gospel truth if I've ever told it. There is a hook and ladder fire truck over there. There is another fire truck over there. And the firemen have on these hazmat suits, and they're going in and out of the big lot. And I turned and looked at Smitty, and I said, well, there's another place we can't go back to. 
That's a true story. He, 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 I mean, they they thought somebody had died in there or something. So. Oh my goodness! I give you one, mm. give you one more. Talking about right. how he was with money. Yeah. For years and years and years, Charlie talked about going to Mount Rushmore, and uh, his family would they would set up a trip, and someone would come up, and the family would back out, whatever the case may be, and. Uh, so Randy, Randy had retired from the flooring business, and I had retired at a place where I could at the time. And I told Randy, I said, look, uh, Randy, Randy ran his own hardwood flooring business. And he, he actually came down and installed a hardwood floor in my house for me. And I told him he wouldn't, he wouldn't take any money for it. And I told him, I said, if you will do the driving, I said, I'll rent a van. I said, let's take Smitty to Mount Rushmore. I said, I'd like to see it. So we planned a trip out. And uh, we we take Charlie to Mount Rushmore. Well, the first the deal was all he had to do was buy his food and pay for his hotel room. That's all he had to do. We're gonna furnish the van. We're gonna furnish the gas. That's, that's all you gotta do. So, oh, I'm good. I'm good. I got it. Okay. So we stop the first day. We stop to get gas, and he comes around to the side of the van where I'm at, and he goes, Bobby, can you loan me a hundred dollars? I don't have any cash on me. And I went, Yeah. So I give him a hundred dollars. Don't tell don't tell Randy. I said, Okay, I won't. Well I didn't find out till later on he's borrowing money from Randy and telling Randy not to tell me. And what, and what he's doing every and this is true now, every place we stopped he was buying lottery tickets. He's buying scratch offs. And I'm not talking about five dollars, I'm talking he'd buy forty, fifty bucks worth. So he was winning some, but we don't know how much. So we time we're going, we made a couple of stops at things we wanted to do while we're on the way. And uh, we were in St. Louis, and we went around by Bush Stadium, and they have a statue of Stan Musial. And uh, I, I was taking pictures of everything out the window of the van. I had a telephoto lens. I was able to get good pictures. Didn't have to get out and walk around. So I got a picture of the statue. I seen him. So Smitty leans up, and he goes, there is Stan Musial. And I went, where? And he goes, right over there. And I said, where? I don't see it. He said, right over there, Bobby. I said, well, is he in line? What's he wearing, Smitty? I can't see him. What's he look like? Well, the light changes, and we pull off. He got so mad, he folded his arms up, and he started cussing me. He called me things I ain't never been called before in my life. I mean, he was really mad. Randy says, you can't talk to my preacher like that. Well, then he jumped on Randy, and he's cussing both of us. And we're dying laughing because we know we got the picture that he wanted. And for 200 miles, he wouldn't talk to us. He sat back there with his lips poked out and man. <laughs> so when he finally starts talking to us again, all we hear is he wants to go where Wild Bill Hickok got shot in the back with a dead man's hand. You know, that happened in Deadwood, South Dakota. So Bo James and Misty James had been out there, and they had told Smitty they saw it, and they got in free. The guy let them see it for nothing. <laughs> so we rode around for probably an hour looking for this place. We finally found it. The sign over the door was a little bit bigger than an index card. So we find <laughs> the place, and, and, and we tell Smitty, we pull over, and we told him, we said, Smitty, you go in. I don't care how long you're in there. 
Me and Randy don't care anything about it. I don't care how long you're in there. Take your camera. Get all the pictures you want. Take all the time you want. Look it over. You know, do everything you can, blah, blah, blah. So I done told y'all about how he was about money. He comes back about two minutes, maybe three minutes later, and he gets in the van. And me and Randy turn around and look at him and go, have you already seen it? I ain't going. I don't want to see it. Wait a minute. This is all we've heard for 2,000 miles. What do you mean you don't want to see it? He said, they want $10 for me to go down there. And I said, Smith, I said, it's not like we're, we're coming back. <laughs> you know, week or, you know, I mean, this is it, Bubba. Go see it. This is your one shot. I ain't giving them $10. Randy reached in his pocket and pulled out a $10 bill. He said, Smitty, here is $10. It's not a loan. I'm giving it to you. Go in there and see what you want to see where you, you can say you saw it. Get some pictures. We, we might want to see the pictures. I ain't giving them $10. Let's go. I, pick, I picked up the phone. He never did. He never saw it. I picked up the phone, and I called his daughter back in Atlanta, in Lawrenceville. And I said, Charlene, I owe you an apology. And she said, why? I said, I know now why you don't travel with your daddy. Her words, not mine. Is he being an asshole? I said, yes. She said, that's why we don't travel with him. So that's that's the way. That explains the money. I mean, it's just the way he is. And another oh deal, we got back off that. We got back off that trip. I had made like 400 pictures. You want a copy? Yeah. Randy, you want a copy? Yeah. I took them to Walgreens, and they were like 19 cents a print. It was cheaper than me printing them at home with my ink, you know. Worked out $105 for three copies of each picture, $35 a piece. I called Smitty. I told him I had his pictures. How much? $35. He went absolutely ballistic. $35 for pictures? I said, that's what it was. 400 pictures, 19, you know, whatever. It took me two months to get $35 out of him for them pictures. <laughs> and, and when he hung up with me, he called Randy. He said, did you get your pictures? Randy said, yeah. He said, how much? He said, $35. He said, that show does seem high. So... Not not to mention it took two months to get my money back that I loaned him I wasn't supposed to tell Randy about. So that's just the way it was mm. with money. But that that was Smitty. We loved him warts and all, so, you know, it's just what it was. But I did, huh. he did see Mount Rushmore, so. Well, that's good. I'm glad I got to do that for him. <laughs> yep. Oh, my. Bobby, this has been so lovely, and, uh, so wonderful, and my condolences uh, for the passing. Thank of you so much. I, I mean, he he lived to an inc- what was a uh, one of those. My last thing I'll say about Charlie Smith was, I I just I never believed how old he was. <laughs> like, how can this be? Because he was so vibrant and so. Um, I don't know how to put it exactly, but he, he just kind of had like a sort of a light about him. Yeah. And sort yep. of a, and a real, like, just real, like, jovial, joking eyes all the time. And 
Um, it was just it was just such a cool scene. It like he made it better that he was there and like any show that he went to. There was just sort of like you had to have Charlie Smith at your show. Like I, I once said, if Larry Goodman has never covered your show, it doesn't matter. And yeah. I would say the same thing. If Charlie Smith ever did never uh, darkens your doorstep at your wrestling group um, at a certain point in time, I don't know if he mattered that much either. Because he certainly went out of his way to sort of make his presence felt and. Uh, he was just a wonderful, wonderful, lovely man. And uh, the stories that you told are just absolutely fantastic. So thank you. Well, he was he, February 1st. Charlie was 92. And uh, he he was never sick a day in his life. He injured his knee one time way back in the 70s. And he tore his Achilles tendon climbing up trying to clean out a gutter or something one time. And like to drove us all crazy because he couldn't walk. All he could do was call you on the phone, and he'd want you to talk to him. He'd just sit and listen. But anyway, uh, he was never sick, and he used to tell me all the time, he said, Bobby, I've had a really blessed life. And I think that sums Charlie up. He was really blessed in life. Uh, as a Baptist minister, I'm very proud to tell you, Charlie confessed to me that he had made things right with the good Lord, and I'm, 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 a, I'm taking him at his word, and Charlie is... Charlie is uh, at home with the good Lord, and his wife is doing well. We, I, I talk to her a couple times a week, and his kids are doing okay, and uh, he's uh, he's doing well. You guys, have y'all, do y'all, did Larry give y'all my number? Uh, my I've phone got number. You. I've got no. it. Okay, hang on. Okay. If you will uh, wait, wait a day or two, because wait till I'm home and I calm down a little, shoot me a text message. And I will see that, that you get a copy of that uh, Charlie Smith thing. I got a couple of them at home, and I'll make sure you get them. And uh, uh, y'all probably oh, y'all enjoy. That would be wonderful. Yeah. I appreciate y'all having me. I miss listen. I miss I miss doing Pete State Pandemonium so much. But it's like Jerry said, we did it for nine years. We had some wonderful guests, but we had beat everybody we knew. We were at the point where we were out of ideas. And it was time to give it up, but I miss it so much because it was my favorite time. And I thank y'all for having me. I've enjoyed this more than you know. Thank you so much. You really thank kind you of so brought much, Charlie to, to, to life for us here tonight. Thanks a lot. Well, I, I appreciate wonderful. it. Thanks, guys. Any, anytime I can be of help, feel free to call. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Well, Larry, I don't, I don't think that could have gone better. Um, you know, Charlie Smith was a great guy, and um, Bobby Simmons knew him as well as anybody in the wrestling business, and that was just absolutely lovely. Yeah. Yeah, to hear all, all those stories and bringing that, that era back so vividly and that Charlie was such a big part of it. And, you know, I was struck by, of course, what he said about Charlie not knowing his father. You know, so, you know, so obviously the guy didn't have his, the easiest time coming up. And, you know, the, the spirit he had and the buoyancy he had about him, is really some, it was really something. And, uh, you know, like I said, uh, you know, I met the guy. I, he was the least bitter. <laughs> you know, mm, mm, really, no, 
No, no. In spite of his funniness about money, <laughs> no. <laughs> you, you know, there's 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 kind of two schools of thought with older guys, and I, I was really glad that, for instance, like Roddy Piper, um, you know, like every visit that he made to like the WWE was always the, everybody was just excited about it. It was a wonderful time, you know, that Piper came in and just. Like like Charlie, right? The, the guys that learn to sort of hold court and just enjoy being around this thing, that they uh, it cannot be overstated. Guys like Charlie Smith really did pave the way. Um, you know, you work for Ray Gunkel, and then you work for Ann Gunkel, and from Ann Gunkel, you go into, you know, Ted Turner. And yeah, and then... <laughs> I mean, it is, George, it George, is George wrestling, wrestling history. Too. Yeah. 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 And, and Charlie Smith was there for it. And, you know, Cauliflower Alley put him on the board. I just, we should all be so lucky, but we are lucky that Charlie Smith was around. I mean, I consider myself incredibly fortunate that I got to meet him. Mm-hmm. Um, Me too. And uh, well, thank you, Larry. Again, thank you. Steve. One of the, it's one of the great things about Georgia wrestling history and the tipping point is um, getting to do things like this. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's so important and so wonderful. And uh, and thank you for the people who are listening, for sure. And thank you to Bobby Simmons for giving us time on his church night to to make this happen. Just wonderful. Oh my gosh, the stories are so great. I'm glad I had one of my own. I've been dying to tell that, you know, let me sell three for a dollar extra so I can give you this one for free and feel okay about it. I had never encountered someone like that in my life. That was the greatest. And it's, you know, with the various moves and the, 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 my tumultuous life over the years, I'll tell you one thing that I've never let go and I always keep track of, and it's that it's that issue of whatever happened to with Danny Hodge in it. <laughs> and, um, you know, it'll always mean a lot to me, and it'll mean even more now. So. <laughs> oh, but in any case, um, we're going to be back uh, with another episode of The Tipping Point at some point very soon. When the spirit and, moves um, maybe next week, Bobby maybe Simmons? the week after. Yeah. 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 But for Bobby Simmons and Charlie Smith, uh, I'm Stephen Platinum, and that's Larry Goodman. And we thank you for joining us for this very special edition of The Ticket. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.